C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia, books 5, 6, and 7. We just covered the first four books, but the last three are the best. (laughs) The first book covers creation, the magician's nephew. The second book covers the cross of Jesus. The fifth book covers conversion and the Christian life. The sixth book, the Christian life. And the seventh book is heaven and the end times. We're at book number five. If you're looking in your handouts, page 27. Now it's called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Edmund and Lucy. You remember those are the last two children. Edmund and Lucy are staying with their cousin, Eustace. And if you say it, you have to say it. Eustace. What kind of a name is that? Oh. You almost deserved it. Yeah, that's the first line of the book. His name was Eustace Scrub, and he almost deserved it. This boy, Eustace, is an annoying boy. He's a know-it-all. He's proud. He's rude. He's ungrateful. He thinks he's clever. He's selfish. And he's about to go on a great adventure. One day... Edmund and Lucy are at Eustace's house while they're waiting over the summer before school starts. And Edmund and Lucy are always talking about Narnia. And Eustace mocks them and says, ah, you you guys are so stupid. So Edmund and Lucy are always trying to get away from Eustace. And one day they're playing in a room and they see on the wall a picture of a boat. And Lucy says to Narnia, I'm sorry, Lucy says to Edmund, it almost looks like a boat from Narnia. Because remember, she was a queen and he was a king in Narnia for 40 years, even though they're eight years old. Nine, ten years old by then. It looks like a Narnian boat. And then the door opens and who comes in? Eustace. Oh, Narnia. And as they look at the picture... It looks as if the picture is coming closer. And before they know it, they're standing on the frame of the picture. And it's a picture of an ocean with a boat. And before they know it, they're not standing on the frame. They're in the water, in the ocean. And they start to scream and shout. But the people on the boat see them. They throw a life preserver down on a rope. And then a man jumps down and grabs them and pulls them back up onto the boat. And as they get on, they realize that the man is Caspian, the guy from the last book. But he's older now because time isn't the same. Time in Narnia goes very quickly while time here goes very slowly. So they come back and they thought, we just met you and you were a young boy and now you're big. He had grown older in the time that they had been gone, just a short time. And they come in, they get on the boat, and they try to get settled on this boat. And that's when Caspian says, now that I'm king, I've tried to bring peace to all the country of Narnia. And I decided to take a boat journey out to the east, far to the east. I guess for you it would be this way, I'm sorry. Far to the east. I wanted to go out and discover all of the islands because when my cruel uncle Miraz, that's the man from the last book, My cruel uncle sent away seven of the the leading elders in the country. He banished them because they believed in Aslan. 
Notice that. If you believe in Aslan, you might get kicked out of the country. So now I'm taking this boat trip to go to every island to see if I can find them and bring them back to Narnia. And I also want to see what's at the end of the world. So Lucy and Edmund are so excited. They are very happy. And Eustace is not happy. Take me back to London. Caspian says, where does he want to go? Because it's in a different world. What what do you mean? You can't go back. So Eustace begins to write in his journal. And in his journal, every time he enters it, he's so selfish. He thinks everyone's being cruel to him. He thinks everyone's hurting him. They come in a time when they're, they're on the water for many days. And if you're on the water for many days, you can't drink the water because the ocean water is salt. You have to stop at an island, go to a river, and fill up your water to have water to drink. So if you've been out for three weeks or three months or however long, your water supply, it starts to go down. So the captain of the ship said, you can only have one cup of water a day. And Eustace says, this is terrible. They, what? they can't do this to me. Well, they're in the boat. What are you supposed to do? I just throw you in with the sharks? So Lucy comes and gives her water to Eustace. And Eustace says, yeah, that's right. She should do that. After all, girls don't need all that water. So he's just rude the whole way through. And remember, the animals can talk. So there's a mouse named Reepicheep. Now, the animals that can talk are bigger than normal animals. So a normal mouse is this big, but a talking mouse is this big. So he can walk around, and he can talk with you, and he has a sword. And he's a good mouse, and he's very brave. And he wants to take this journey to the end of the world because he wants to find Aslan's country. Reepicheep the mouse loves Aslan with all his heart. But Eustace sees that, ah, ah, what is that rat, that rodent? Reepicheep bows. My name is Reepicheep. May I serve you? Eustace hates him, so he looks for a time when the mouse is not looking. He grabs him by the tail and swings him around. Reepicheep is a very good swordsman, so he pulls out his sword, jumps up and starts to beat the boy with his sword. Ah, ah, Eustace screams for help. So this is the way the trip goes for a while until they land at an island. The first island they land at, Caspian and Lucy and Edmund and Eustace, they all come down to the shore. And when they come down, guess who picks them up? Slave traders. They bind them all in chains and they're going to sell them at the market. And the slave traders take them through, but Caspian is purchased by this one man. He's one of the seven elders. He's been at that island for many, many years. So while he's on that island, the, slave, the, the, the Lord buys Caspian, but he doesn't have money to buy the others. He takes him back. And then when Caspian hears him talk, he realizes this is one of those lords. So he speaks to him and says, my master, I am your master. What? And he begins to tell him that he is the king of Narnia. He convinces the man. The man sets him free. They make a daring plan. They rescue all their friends. And they throw down the bad man who's promoting the slave trade in Narnia. And in, on that island. So they set up a better king there. And they move on. So those are the kinds of adventures. They have seven of these adventures as they go from island to island. But the best adventure is when they stop after a terrible storm. 
They go, this is about bullet eight or so. They have a terrible storm. The boat is shaking back and forth. The, the, the boards and the timbers are breaking. So they have to stop at an island. There's no one alive on this island. And as they go through, Caspian, the king, tells them, some of you need to fill the water. Some of you need to fix the wood. Some of you need to fix these problems. Some of you need to hunt for, for meat for us. But Eustace is very lazy. So he looks for a way to get away and go sleep. He walks back through the woods, finds a nice quiet place, and then he sees, that's a cave. He gets into the cave, and what does he find in the cave? Gold and jewels and wealth. <gasps> He's so excited. If I could take this back, he starts filling his pockets with money. And then he gets a big gold bracelet and puts it on his arm, but it's way too big. So he slides it way up his arm. <laughs> then he lays down to sleep. When he wakes up, he's terrified because he hears the sound of a reptile. Oh, I forgot to tell you, before he went to sleep, when he first got into the cave, along with all the gold, what else did he find in there? A dragon. He found a dead dragon. So he comes in, when he wakes up, he hears the dragon move. I thought it was dead, but it's not, it's alive, oh no! So he tries to move his right arm, and the dragon moves. He tries to move his left arm, and the dragon moves his right foot, his left foot. And suddenly, he doesn't dare to breathe, but he breathes just so quietly and carefully through his nose, and he sees two jets of air come out, steam. He decides to make a break for it. So he jumps up and runs as fast as he can to get out of the cave. And as he does, there's a terrible noise all around him. Gold and jewels are flying all over the place. As he gets to the edge of the cave, he realizes he's running on all fours. His hands and his legs. He looks down and he has become a dragon. Ah! What do I do? What can I... What can... Ah! He leaps into the air and his wings beat. He flies back over the mountain and he sees all of the people down below working to repair the ship. What can I do? He flies down to them, but they throw spears at him. Ah, he comes back. They're going to kill me. What do I do? Ah! And then slowly he convinces them that he is Eustace. He lands on the beach far from them and he begins to write with his claw, I am Eustace. And it's Reepicheep the mouse, the one he tried to hurt. And how big is a mouse? How big is a dragon? Reepicheep the mouse is the one who approaches him and says, Dragon, are you friend or foe? And the dragon says, Are you friend? <laughs> and they eventually discover it's Eustace. What can we do? So they all decide, well, Eustace was the worst guy to have on the boat, but now... What can we do? He can't go on the boat. He'll sink the boat. He's as big as the boat itself. What do we do? And we can't leave him here and we can't stay here ourselves. One day passes, two days pass, three days pass on the sixth day. Early in the morning, Edmund shakes. He hears a noise outside. He grabs his sword and steps outside. Remember, Edmund's about 12, 13 years old. He grabs his sword and steps outside and he sees a dark figure walking in the early morning. Who goes there? It's me, Eustace, Ed. What? You are a dragon. 
let me tell you what happened. Last night, I went back to the cave and I've been thinking for six days of what a rotten person I've been. I've been a dragon on the inside and how I've ruined everything. I complain about everything. I never help the work. I'm lazy and useless. And I'm sitting there crying about what a loser I am when suddenly a lion came up and he said, undress. But I wasn't wearing clothes, just these scales. So I started scraping my scales and all the scales came off. But then I realized I thought they were off, but they're still on. So I tried it again and they were still on and I tried it again. And no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't get the scales off. Then the lion said, you have to let me take it off. He stepped forward and picked up his claws and his claws were so sharp. When they pierced me, I thought they would cut my heart out. He ripped with those claws and cut the skin right off. It felt so painful, but suddenly he pulled me out, a clean little boy, and he dressed me. I don't know how. That's what he says. He says, I don't know how he did it, but somehow the lion dressed me. And that I'm back here now. And the book says... From that time, Eustace began to be a different boy. And I can't think of a better picture of conversion in all the novels than that. Isn't that what has to happen? What, what are you? You're a rude, selfish little boy. Give me your water. Girls don't need water. How selfish is that? And then you love money and you're lazy and you're useless and you, you're really a dragon. And you're a pain to everyone. But if you start weeping over your sin, the lion will come. But when the lion comes, he's going to cut you very deep in order to get that ugly skin off. So they go to another island um, and they find one of the lords there. Uh, they go to an island where everything that goes in the water becomes gold. And then they come to another island where they find three of the seven lords are sleeping and at that island, they try to wake them up, and they can't wake them up. So they go on until they come to a place where the water turns sweet. Go over to page 28. The water turns sweet. And at this point, the children and Reepicheep are sent off on their own because Aslan appears to Caspian and says, Caspian, it's time for you to go home. And Reepicheep the mouse and the three children are going to go on their own on a boat. They get on a boat and they start to travel. But now, if you've ever been to the ocean, if you take the water, it's salty. But now, even though they're on the ocean, they can drink the water. In fact, Reepicheep says, it tastes like you're drinking light. Can you imagine what it would be like to have a full cup of light and just drink it down? And see, that's why C.S. Lewis is so great. He gives you pictures like that. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to go to heaven and taste a rose? To go to heaven and hear the sound of your wife's hair. You can't hear hair. You can't taste roses. You can't drink light. Some of these glorious beauties and wonders 
um, are waiting for us in heaven. So as they go on in their own, they come at the end of the world to a place where the water shoots straight up to meet the sky. And Repachip goes up that waterfall or that it's water rise. It's a mountain of water going up. Repachip goes up it and into Aslan's country. And Lucy and Edmund and Eustace get out and walk along the, the shore. And as they walk, they see a little lamb. And they come to the lamb and they say, <clears throat> let me just read it to you at the very end. This is one of the best parts too. Oh, I skipped the devil puds. Oh, I can't skip the devil puds. Okay, I'm going to read this and then go back to the devil puds. I got to tell you about that too. Please, lamb, said Lucy, is this the way to Aslan's country? Not for you, said the lamb. For you, the door to Aslan's country is from your own world. What? said Edmund. Is there a way to Aslan's country from our world too? There is a way into my country from all the worlds, said the lamb. But as he spoke, his snowy white flushed into tawny gold, and his size changed from the lamb into the lion himself, towering above them and scattering light with his mane. Oh, Aslan, will you tell us how to get into your country from our world? I shall be telling you all the time, said Aslan. Friends, Aslan will tell you all the time how to get into his country. Every day you read the Bible, you get a little bit more. And so they go on, and the best in the whole book is this. Uh, look in at the top of page 28. It's the quote there. Dearest, said Aslan very gently, you and your brother will never come back to Narnia. Oh, Aslan, said Edmund and Lucy, both together in despairing voices. You are too old, children, said Aslan. And you must begin to come close to your own world now. It isn't Narnia, you know, sobbed Lucy. It's you. We shan't meet you there. And how can we live never meeting you? But you shall meet me, dear one, said Aslan. Are, are you there too, sir? said Edmund. Edmund. I am said Aslan, but there I have another name. Do you know his name? Well, that's the story of the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Let me tell you briefly about the Duffelpuds. They arrive at an island, and there's no one living on the island, but they see a big, beautiful house, and they suddenly hear voices, and they hear loud noise. And they hear people talking. What can we do? They start to walk forward and the voices stop to talk to them. Stop right there. We see you, but you don't see us. I think you're lying, says Reba Cheap. Suddenly a spear flies and lands right at their feet. They're invisible when we hold them. When we throw them, they become visible. What do you want from us? We want that little girl to go into that house. She can work some magic if she goes in that house so that we can become visible again. 
They decide to let her do it. Lucy goes into the house. She walks up. She meets Aslan in there. Aslan directs her. She reads from a book. And she makes all the creatures become visible again. When she comes back down, the creatures all have one foot. And the noise you heard was from them hopping. And their foot is so large that when they want to sleep, they lay on their back and put their foot in their head in the air to be their shade over their head. But they're very foolish. You've got to read the book. They're very foolish. So whatever their chief says, they all say, yes, 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 yes. That's right. That's right. So whatever, whatever the, the boss says, all of them say, yes, 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 yes. That's right. That's right. That's right. Even when the chief contradicts himself or says things that are wrong, all the people say, yes, 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 yes. So they're very gentle people and they're not trying to kill anyone, but they're very foolish and they get confused. So some of them have the job of bringing the water. So they try to bring the water in buckets, but remember, how do they go? <laughs> so the water always flies out. So he, the, the people at the, in the house, there's a magician in the house, and he tells them, pass the buckets. Don't jump with the buckets, pass them. But they never want to listen. And they're very, very foolish creatures. And those are the islands of the duffel buds. All right, book six, The Silver Chair. Now they're back in England. Eustace meets a girl named Jill at school. And one day, as they're running from some bullies at school, they come up against a door at the school, and they realize the door is locked. Well, it's always locked. Then they, here they come. They grab the door and try. The door opens. They open the door and look back. Here come the bullies. Let's go, Jill. They step through the door, and they realize they're stepping into Aslan's country. As soon as they step through the door, they disappear and they've come into Narnia. Now they're up on the top of a very high mountain, so high that if you look down, you'll get dizzy looking down. Not a kilometer or two kilometers, but a hundred kilometers straight down so that it's terrifying to look. And they get near the edge. And Eustace, because Jill frustrates him and kind of nudges him, Eustace falls over the edge. And just as he begins to fall and cry out, suddenly a lightning bolt, a a golden streak, rushes up, jumps down on the ground, and blows. And Eustace flies off. And Jill turns over and sees an enormous... Lion. Lion. Ah! And she says, as I put in here, now look at the end of the silver chair review for this quote. She sees the lion and she's very thirsty. And there's a river right there beside him. And she says, please, sir, can I get a drink? And the lion says, you may come and drink. And she says, will you please go away while I drink? And he just growls at her. And the lion says, but you are thirsty, aren't you? I feel like I'm going to die. Then come and drink. And now look at the quote. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come? Said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Do you eat girls? She said. 
I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. Isn't that a great line? He does. Has he swallowed you yet? In one of the books, one of the animals comes near to Aslan and says, I would be so happy if you would choose to eat me. <laughs> so he, the lion gives Jill a quest and says, Jill, there is a prince that is missing. Years ago, Prince Caspian, you know him, King Caspian, the guy from the last two books. He's now a very old, old man. And King Caspian has a young, strong son named Rillian. But once when Rillian was out with his mother, the queen, when they were out, the queen was bitten by a green serpent, a huge green serpent, bit the queen, and she died. And now Prince Rillian goes out every day to find the serpent to try to kill it. But one day when Prince Rillian went out to find the serpent, he didn't come back anymore. And they have searched and searched and they cannot find the, the queen is dead and they cannot find the prince. Aslan says, your job is to search for the prince and either find him or die trying. But I'm going to give you four signs to find the prince. And then Aslan gives her four signs. The first one is, as soon as Eustace sees someone, he's going to see a friend. He needs to go up to that friend and introduce himself immediately. Eustace has been in Narnia. He needs to immediately go to that friend. And if he does, you will get great help and it will be very easy. Number two, you need to go north and find the ruined city of the giants. Number three, when you go north, you will find a writing. When you find that writing, do what it says. And number four. You will know the prince because he, if you find him, because he is the first person who will say, do something in the name of Aslan. So Jill says, okay, but how can I get there? And Aslan says, just like Eustace. So he blows her. Yeah, she flies off into the air, flying on the breath of Aslan. And she arrives just as Eustace arrived, even though Eustace went long before her. Aslan blew them, so they arrived at the same time. They land, and Jill says, listen, listen to the signs. Shh, you pushed me off that, off that cliff. So they're fighting a little bit, and they mess up the first sign. Eventually, they get a little bit of help, but not the help they should have, because they weren't paying attention to the sign. And Aslan tells them, Aslan tells Jill, look, look at the quote at... Um, on book six, The Silver Chair, the very last quote, remember, remember, remember the signs. Say them to yourself when you wake in the morning and when you lie down at night and when you wake in the middle of the night and whatever strange things may happen to you, let nothing turn your mind from following the signs. Do you see the, the point? What are the signs? Sola Scriptura. The Bible alone. So they go off and they search for the city of the giants. A man comes with them named Puddleglum. So there's three of them together. And they, they get so tired because it's cold that Jill stops repeating the signs. 
And Puddleglum tells them, aren't you supposed to repeat the signs? You, you've forgotten them. And Jill says, I'm too tired. I'm too cold to repeat the signs. And so Jill doesn't repeat the signs anymore. And they go to a, a house with giants. And the giants pretend to be friendly, but they lock them in their rooms. And then the children find out the giants are going to cook them and eat them. So they find a tricky way to get to escape. And just as the children escape, the giants start chasing them. So the children are running with Puddle Glum. The three of them are running together. The giants chase them. And as they're running, they look for a place to hide. And suddenly, they find a cave. They try to get into the cave, and they slip and fall down, down a path inside the ground. Slip, 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 slip. Yeah, save time. I just skipped sign number three. Just like they did. They slide down, 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 a kilometer or more down until they're all sore and in pain. They reach the bottom and it's very, very dark inside the mountain. And that's when all these dark people under the world meet them. They're some kind of creatures and they come up like men. Come with us. They're very serious and sober. And they drag Eustace and Jill and Puddleglum the way to a castle under the mountain. And in the castle is a knight. Hey, what are these people here for? Now leave them with me. I'll take care of these ones. They lock the door. Now they're terrified. They're in with this knight. And the knight tells them, Ha ha! Myself and my queen are going to attack and conquer Narnia. We're going to do it maybe this very night. But I must tell you, Every night, I become an insane beast, and I will attack and hurt anyone around me. And the time is coming right now. Right now, I'm good, but the time is coming when I will attack and destroy you. So there's a silver chair right there. I have to sit down in that chair, and you have to tie me up. Tie me to that chair. And they tie him to the chair. Actually, the servants do. Servants tie him to the chair. And he says, now I'm telling you. No matter what I say to you, don't let me out of this chair. Because if you do, I will become an insane beast and I'll hurt you. That's what they tell me. So they stand and say, oh, no fear. We're not going to let you loose. We've, we've had enough danger. And suddenly the man begins to shake. What's going to happen? He begins to shake and cry. Oh, oh, mother. Oh, Narnia. Oh, how many years? Ah, oh, please free me. Free me. You are Narnians. I am a Narnian. Free me. Free me right now. And I'm your friend. Huh? Ah, stay still. He's trying to trick us. No, let me loose. Let me loose. They won't let him loose. Any time now, the queen will be back. The queen is not here. She's a terrible witch. She's bound me with this magic. Let me free now. Let me free. They won't let him free. He threatens them. One night I broke these bonds. If I break these bonds, I will kill you. No, he doesn't say kill. He says, if I break these bonds, I am your enemy. But if you let me loose now, I am your friend. What do we do? What do we do? He's shouting, the queen's going to come. And then he calls out, oh, you look on a man who has suffered more than anything you know. By all fears and loves, by all, by Aslan himself, free me. What was the fourth sign? Whoever tells you to do something in my name, who is he? The That's the prince. What do we do? What do we do? And Jill and Eustace and Puddleglum decide, 
We've ignored all of the signs. This is the fourth one. We better get this one right. So they go up and they let him free. And he is the prince. He stands up, grabs his sword, destroys the chair. And just then the door opens. And in comes the queen. She's the queen from the other books. From the first book. What have you done? She closes and locks the door. What have you done, prince? She picks up some uh, guitar or a lyre and begins to play it. She takes some powder and puts it on the fire. She plays it. What are you talking about? Where are you coming from? We're coming from Narnia and we're going back to Narnia. Oh, what is Narnia? It's the land. It's the land up there. The land up there in the ceiling? Is there a land in the ceiling? Oh, no, it's the land with the sun. We're down here in this mountain. In Narnia, there's a sun. Oh, look what you've done. You've seen my light, and then you imagined a bigger and better light, and you called it the sun. There is no sun. There's only my world. And because of the powder that she put in the fire, it's affecting their brains, and the music she's playing is affecting their brains, and they can't think, and they want to fall asleep. And suddenly Puddleglum says, But... There's Aslan. Aslan's in the real world. She hates the name of Aslan. Um, um, what is this? What is this name you say? He's a lion. A lion? There are no lions. What is a lion? It's a lion's like a cat, only very, very big. Oh, you see what you've done? You took my light and you made it into the sun. You take a little cat and you pretend there's a lion. There is no lion. There is no lion. There's a, and they're about to fall asleep. And then, oh no, what do I do? What do I do? And then Puddleglum goes over, stamps out the fire, and says, No matter what you do, you're not going to make me forget Aslan. Because the world you have is dark and dreary and miserable. But in Narnia, there's fruit and trees and sun. And Eustace and Jill snap back. And suddenly... Brilliant is there, and the queen who had been playing, in a moment's time, her head stretched out very long, and her neck became one long piece, and her arms blended into her body until she became an enormous serpent, so thick and so large that she could wrap around all of them. She immediately wrapped around Rillian. Rillian grabbed him, got his sword, and then began hacking. She gets her... her fangs right at his face and they cut her head off and they escape from underworld and come back to Narnia and there's much more to it but that's the main point book number six book number seven last one the last battle in the high north of Narnia there is an ape named shift and a puzzle a donkey named puzzle so Shift is the name of this ape, and he's very tricky. And they have not seen Aslan for many, many hundreds of years. They haven't seen Aslan. They hear stories about the past. They hear stories about King Peter and, and King Edmund and Queen Susan and Queen Lucy. But it's so long ago, thousands of years, hundreds of years. They can't remember it. And Shift says, do you remember that lion there used to be a lion, and one day he sees out in the water, he sees something, and he says, let's get that. He pulls it out, and it's a lion skin. 
So he sews it together and he sews it on Puzzle the donkey. But Puzzle the donkey is just an honest, good donkey. I don't want to wear this lion skin. No, put it on, Puzzle. You need to have it. And he sewed the skin. He sewed the arms on his legs and he sewed the head over his head and the body around his body so that if you'd never seen a lion before and if it was really dark and if you weren't too close, maybe you would think it was a lion. And he said, no, no, see, see? Now we can tell people that you are Aslan. And what we say, they have to obey because Aslan told them. And, and this will be good because now we can fix everything in Narnia. And Puzzle says, but I don't want to fix everything in Narnia. Everything's pretty good in Narnia. No, 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 we need to fix it. So now we go to meet the king. This king's name is Tyrion. Tyrion is with his, his unicorn. Do you know what a unicorn is? It's a horse with a, with a horn sticking out the top. Okay? Right there. There's your unicorn. <laughs> There's your unicorn. <laughs> there it is. So Tyrion has a unicorn, and the unicorn's name is Jewel. And Jewel talks to Tyrion, and they love each other, and they're best friends. And Tyrion and Jewel are talking one day when suddenly one of the Narnians comes up and says, Help! Your majesty! They're killing us! They're killing us! Oh, and she falls down and dies. Oh, what is this? He jumps on Jewel and they ride together and find that the Kalorman, those are the people from the other country, they've snuck into Narnia and they're whipping the Narnians. Hey, what are you doing here? And Tyrion pulls out a sword and kills one of the Kalorman. And then they look around and all the Narnians say, but your majesty, Aslan told us that we have to obey them. Aslan told us that we have to be their slaves. What? Aslan? Yes, he comes out every night. There's a stable right over there. And in that stable every night, Aslan comes out and we have to do what he says. And Tyrion looks at Jewel and says, what's worse? Is it worse not to see Aslan? Or if he comes to find out that he's not at all what you thought he was? So Jewel and Tyrion run away. But then the more they think about it, they think, if Aslan told them to do that, I want to obey Aslan, no matter the cost. So Tyrion walks back with Jewel and says, I demand to see Aslan and I give myself up as the king of Narnia. But the Kalormans are there. Remember, the soldiers from the other country, they grab him and tie him up. No, I want to see Aslan. Show me Aslan. Ha, ha, ha. They tie him to a tree. They tie up the unicorn far away. They, way over there, they can see the stable. And late at night, there's a fire. And then this lion creature comes out. And all the animals cheer. But then the monkey comes out and says, Aslan doesn't like what you're doing. We need to have more nuts and more oranges. I want more oranges and more nuts. What do the apes like to eat? <laughs> more oranges and more nuts. Get them here. That's what Aslan says. And all of you, stop talking about going back to your homes. No more of that. Aslan wants you to work for the Clormans now. What? They shout out, but, but Aslan, no. We want to talk to Aslan. No more, no more. You're not talking to Aslan anymore. He says he's angry. Remember, he's not a tame lion. He's angry with all of you. All of you are getting soft. He's going to whip you into shape. 
So no more of this anymore. Back, back to work. And now Tyrion is tied up to this chair, to this tree. Did I, did I hear that? So he calls out to Aslan. Oh, Aslan, if you hear me, have mercy on me. Send me help. I've read in the history that sometime in the past you would send children out of another world. Send those children to me. He bows his head in despair. And suddenly, two children fall out of the air and land right in front of him. Jill and Eustace. From the last story. They stand up, they cut his bands, they work his arms so he can move again, and they get free. What's happening? What's happening? They tell them, we were pulled out of our country. We saw a vision of you praying, and, and suddenly we came. So the king says, this is what we have to do. That's not the real Aslan. I know what they are doing now. They've got a fake Aslan in there. (coughs) What we need to do, I know a place we can go. We're going to go over this place. We're going to get weapons. We're going to disguise ourselves. We'll come back and we're going to expose the false Aslan in the middle of the day so they can see it. So they sneak back to the stable. And while they're back there, Jill goes to the stable and she gets Puzzle, the donkey. And what does the Puzzle, the donkey have? She pulls him out. And she says, look, it's not Aslan. It's a donkey with a lion skin on it. This is ridiculous. Now, could you, if you've ever seen Aslan like I have, because Jill had seen Aslan, do you remember? If you've ever seen Aslan, you could never mistake Aslan for this or this for Aslan. No. So Tyrion, uh, Jill starts to take the lion skin off and Tyrion says, no, no, no. Leave the lion skin on. We're going to take Puzzle back right into the midst of the Narnians and show them, you think you're believing in Aslan, you're believing in this. And just as they bring him back, the monkey is out there and he says, hey, all of you Narnians, listen to me. Something very wicked has happened. A donkey has gone around impersonating Aslan. Any moment now, expect that a donkey will show up dressed like Aslan, dressed like a lion. (coughs) You've got to be careful. The real Aslan is in that stable, and he's so, so angry now, he will never come out. He won't see you at all because you're impersonating him, and you're walking around with donkeys dressed like lions. So now Tyrion is so angry, and and the monkey says, if you see that donkey, kill it. Kill it! Now remember, Shift was Donkey, was Puzzle's friend. So very quickly, they cut the cords and they take the lion skin off Puzzle so that he won't be killed. And they say, what do we do? What do we do? Well, while they're traveling, they meet a group of dwarves on the road. And these dwarves are are very strong and they're good with their bows. And Tyrion says to them, oh, oh, I'm sorry. All of the dwarves were tied up going to work for the Kalorman as slaves. And Tyrion kills the Kalorman and says, now dwarves, you're all free. Follow me. I am the king of Narnia. And this is what's happening. Explain what happened with Puzzle. And the dwarves say, ah, that other one, that monkey said he was the mouthpiece of Aslan. He said he's a prophet for Aslan. You say you're a king. Why can't I be the king? Why can't this one be a prophet? Ah, we've had enough of your prophets. We've had enough of your kings. Ah, the dwarves are for the dwarves. What? I just freed you. You are going to be slaves. I set you free. And they turn on Tyrion. And all those dwarves walk off, except for one. 
one faithful dwarf comes back and says, Your Majesty, my name's Poggin, and I believe in Aslan, and I believe in you. So now they've got Poggin, and Puzzle, and Tyrion, and Jewel, and Eustace, and Jill. They've got six. And Tyrion says, let's go back then. Let's go back and gather all the Narnians together. But just then, an eagle flies down to them and says, Your Majesty, I have very bad news. While we have been up here, the Kalormans attacked your castle. And they destroyed the armies. The Kalormans are taking over Narnia. We are the only ones left. They look around. They've now got the eagle, the donkey, the unicorn, the dwarf, the children, the king. Six, seven people or citizens, Narnians. They head back to the stable and they hide and they look. And there's all the Narnians and there's all the Kalorman soldiers. And there's the monkey shouting, ha ha, the Aslan's inside there. But as they were coming back, I forgot to tell you this. As they were coming back to the stable, a terrible dark cloud passed over them. And they all felt sick. And they smelled this disgusting smell like something had been dead for days. And they looked up and saw this dark cloud. And it flew toward the stable. And they felt disgusting at it. And they moved back to the stable. And as they got back, then the ape, they hear the ape starting to say, the Kalormans, they worship Tash, and the Narnians worship Aslan, but actually Aslan and Tash are all one. There's only, we'll call him Tashlan. Tashlan is the, is the great is the great lion, and he's in the stable. And now the Kalormans are saying, yes, that's right, Tashlan, Tashlan. We have to obey Tashlan. See, Tash is the god of the Kalormans. Aslan is the god of the Narnians. And now what are they doing? They blend them together. And Schiff says, they're together. Anyone who wants to see Tashlan can go inside the, can go inside the stable. And so a cat comes out and says, is that true? Can I go inside the stable? Yes, yes, go right inside. So the cat walks inside. They close the door of the stable. And they hear, open the door. The cat shoots out. And now when the cat comes out, it cannot talk anymore. So another man stands up and says, let me go into that stable. And he walks into the stable. They close the door. So now, Tyrion looks around and says, what is this? What is happening? Well, we know one thing. We're going to fight the last battle right here. And so the last battle of the last king of Narnia began. Tyrion steps out with all his troops. He calls the mice together and tells them, go down to, the, to where the horses are and bite through all their ropes so the horses can join us. And go call the dogs. And all the dogs join them. And some beavers and some other creatures come to join them. And they've got a little group together. And they say, we're going to fight. And they call out the Kalormans. And now the Kalormans see the king. And they say, all right, let's fight together. So they begin a battle. And as they begin the battle, the leader of the Kalormans says, don't kill them. Send them into the stable one at a time. Because what they had done is inside the stable, they had a Kalorman with a sword. And if someone walked in who believed in Tashlan, he would walk in and say, oh, I see Tashlan. And he would lie and come out and say, oh, Tashlan's in there. 
But if someone who, who believed in Aslan walked in, they would cut off his head. So there was a, a Kalorman standing inside with his sword up. So the leader of the Kalorman said, throw them one at a time into the stable. They will be offerings to the great god Tash. So they begin to fight, and one by one, the Narnians are beaten until it's just Tyrion fighting by himself. And he's swinging his sword, and the enemies are all around, and they're pushing him back closer and closer to the door of the stable. And then at the last moment, he drops his sword, he grabs his enemy right by the belt, and he jumps in together. He thinks, if you're going to kill me, you're going to kill this guy too. And he jumps into the stable at the same time. The door is slammed shut. And suddenly, the whole world changed. There was an amazingly bright light inside the stable, but outside it was dark at night. Outside it was like this, 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night, but inside the stable it's bright as day. And as Tyrion is laying on the ground, he looks over and he sees this enormous, disgusting, vile, bird-like creature, three, four, five meters tall, looked down and grabbed his enemy soldier. The one who worshipped Tash, that was the real Tash. And what does the real Tash do? He grabs his own, devours him. And then just as he looks at Tyrion, a voice calls out, Be gone, foul demon! And Tash disappears. And Tyrion looks around. And he sees he's not in a stable, but he just, you know, a stable, like a mukuku. He just stepped into a mukuku, but he's not in a mukuku. He's on a green plain, and there's beautiful sun, and there's trees and fruit. And he looks down, he's covered with filth and sweat and blood, but it's all gone. He's been washed. He's wearing beautiful clothing. What is this? And then he looks at the voice that called him. Who called him? It's King Peter. And beside King Peter, he sees King Edmund and Queen Lucy. And then he sees the Lord Diggory from the first book. And the Lady Polly. And he sees Jill. Jill was just a little girl. Now she's a woman in beautiful clothing. What is this? What's happening? And then Aslan comes. And Aslan comes and says... Time! And the door to the stable flings open, and he steps up and puts his paws on the edge and calls out, Time! And slowly, very quickly, all the creatures begin streaming to the stable. And if they believed in Aslan, they go off to Aslan's right. And if they didn't believe in Aslan, they go off to his left and disappear into his shadow. And all the creatures run out. And then the stars begin to fall. And then the rivers and mountains, the mountains fall and the rivers rise. And snow falls until it's all destroyed. And it's a cold, barren flood. And then Aslan steps back and tells King Peter, close and lock the door. The stable door is closed and locked. And Narnia is no more. And Aslan turns to them and says, go further up and further in. And he leaves. And Tyrion is amazed. What? I'm in this beautiful land in daylight. And Lucy says, 
I think this place is so beautiful. This is Aslan's country, but this is the real Narnia. We liked Narnia, but the only reason we liked Narnia was because it's a little bit like this place. This place with the trees. and Don't you recognize that mountain and that river? We knew this place. And so they obey Aslan. They go further up and further in. As they begin to walk, they recognize places that they had known back in Narnia. And suddenly they begin to run and they find they can run and they're not tired. They can run as fast as they want. In fact, they're running as fast as birds can fly. And they just run and they're laughing. They can't get out of breath. They're not exhausted. They're not sweating. They come to a waterfall and they can swim right up the waterfall. And they're running. And as they get to the end of Narnia, they realize it starts over. Only the new Narnia that they just started over is even more beautiful than the last. And when they run from that end of Narnia the whole way through to the other end, they come to yet another Narnia. And that Narnia is bigger and more beautiful than the last. And then they stop and they look out over the mountains and they say, wait, 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 look, Edmund, look. And suddenly, way out over the mountains, they see another mountain range. And as they look and look and look their eyes away, they see England. England joins with Narnia. And they look out and see Africa joining with Narnia. And America and China. And it's all joining. All of the worlds are joining. And they, they just know, if we just keep going further up and further in, eventually all of the worlds join together when they reach Aslan. And they run on and on. And the more they run, they never get tired. Isaiah 40, 28, you will run and not be weary. As they run, they don't get tired. And it only becomes more beautiful and more glorious. Every step they take, the world gets better than it was before. And everything they see, they recognize it from the time they were back in Narnia. But they say it's so much better. I never knew it was like this. And so look at the last page. What about who? Sir? Susan. I will just leave it. Yeah, okay, I'll tell about Susan. Uh, Susan didn't make it. If you noticed, how many kings and queens were there? Four. Peter, Edmund, Susan, Lucy. But only Peter and Edmund and Lucy made it. Because Susan fell away. She didn't persevere. She gave up. And she never made it. So look at the quotes at the end, at the last part. The, word, the one that starts with as. As he spoke, that's Peter. As Peter spoke, the earth trembled. The sweet air grew suddenly sweeter. A brightness flashed behind them. All turned Tyrion turned last because he was afraid. And there stood his heart's desire. Huge and real. The golden lion, Aslan himself. And already the others were kneeling. Look down a few lines further. The reason we loved the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. The stable seen from within and the stable seen from without are two different places. And again, we've got to the country where everything is allowed. 
because there's no sin. You'll never sin. You can never have a bad desire in heaven. And this is the last line of the book. The last line of the review is the last line of the book. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. This is one of the greatest novels because this book so immediately helps you to love the Lord Jesus. When you read this book, your heart starts to go fast whenever you hear about Aslan. When you read that book, you think more clearly about yourself and you desire to go to heaven. It presents solus Christus in the best way, Christ alone in the best way. It presents grace alone in the best way. Only grace could save Edmund. Remember, he betrayed his brothers and sisters. How was he saved? Only by Aslan. He did nothing. How was Eustace saved? Aslan ripped off the dragon skin. This is one of the great novels of all time. And I encourage you to read it.